The first recorded miracle of Jesus took place at a wedding in Cana of Galilee, not far from his hometown of Nazareth. The other gospel writers referred to Jesus' miracles as mighty works, but John referred to them as signs. And last week we tried to discern the significance of Jesus turning water into wine. Before he did so, he had six large water pots that were used for purification rituals filled to the brim with water. And then, as the choice of words does seem to indicate, he had more water drawn out of the well, and as it was being drawn out, it turned into wine. Now, filling water pots that were used for purification and turning water into wine may have been a symbolic way of indicating that the old purification rituals were no longer effective and that it would take the blood of Jesus, as pictured by wine in the Lord's Supper, to actually wash away our sins. But even if we have misinterpreted the sign, it did manifest, it did reveal his glory to his disciples, and they believed in him because of it. John then moves the narrative from Cana, and Jesus' first sign, which was pretty much done in private, to Capernaum, and then to Jerusalem, where he performed his first public act, his first cleansing of the temple. We begin in Capernaum, and note someone's absence. We're in the second chapter of John, verse 12. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and there they stayed for a few days. Jesus' mother was with him in Cana. In fact, she's the one who encouraged him to do what he did at the wedding feast. As the scene changes to Capernaum, she's still there, and so are his brothers, as well as his disciples. But there's no mention of his father. Now, John says they stayed in Capernaum for a few days. But Matthew tells us that Jesus actually settled in Capernaum. Peter lived there also. And it's generally believed that Jesus lived in Peter's house while ministering in Galilee. Whether Mary lived there as well, we're not told. But apparently, they no longer had a home in Nazareth. After his ministry began, Jesus did, however, return to Nazareth for a visit. And while there, he offended the townspeople in the synagogue by applying a prophecy from Isaiah to himself. Who did he think he was? He was a carpenter and the son of a carpenter. They knew his mother, Mary, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. His sisters lived in Nazareth still, having no doubt married men from the village. But there's no indication that the rest of the family still lived there. 
and most believe Joseph was no longer alive. What happened to him, we're not told. We know he was there at the birth of Jesus. He's in all of our nativity sets. And after his circumcision, Jesus' father and mother took him to the temple for his dedication as their firstborn. We also know Joseph took Jesus and Mary to Egypt as instructed by an angel to protect him from Herod and took him back home to Nazareth after being told in a dream that the coast was clear. Luke tells us that Jesus' parents took him to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12, they left without him, thinking he was with relatives. When they returned and found him in the temple, asking and answering questions of the teachers, Mary said, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. Jesus responded, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Jesus went back home with them and continued to live under the authority of his parents, increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Nothing more is said of Jesus' childhood and home life. And Joseph never again appears in the text. The next time we meet Jesus, he's around 30 and is ready to begin his ministry. After his baptism, 40 days in the wilderness, being tempted to rethink the direction his ministry should take, Welcoming his first disciples and performing his first miracle, Jesus makes another big stir in his father's house. And the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a house of merchandise. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for thy house will consume me. John is the only one to record this cleansing of the temple. The other three gospel writers telling of his doing so at the end of his ministry, but only John tells of the cleansing that took place at the beginning of his ministry. Now, some do believe there was actually only one cleansing and that John inserted an account of the cleansing out of chronological order for literary effect. But the circumstances and details differ significantly. John even records Jesus saying, Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a house of merchandise. While the others tell us, he said, It is written, and my house shall be a house of prayer. But you have made it a robber's den. 
Apparently, things had gotten worse in the intervening three years. The temple had gone from being a house of merchandise to being a den of thieves. Not that it had ever been all that God intended. 400 years before Jesus cleansed it, God told Malachi that the Lord would come like a refiner's fire and fuller's soap to cleanse the temple. And that he did. When Jesus entered the temple, however, he wasn't surprised to see the oxen and sheep and doves. They played an essential role in what took place in the temple. They were the God-ordained sacrifices that were to be offered for the sins and trespasses of God's people. He may not have even been shocked by the money changers. People came from all over to celebrate the Passover, and they brought with them a variety of coins. Some, however, contained images that were offensive to the Jews, and they differed in value. At God's instruction, Moses had told the men of Israel to contribute a half shekel for the service of the tent of meeting. And the half shekel had become a temple tax by Jesus' day. But the Jewish authorities had determined that only shekels from Tyre that were 94% silver could be used for the tax, thus the need for money changers. What upset Jesus was that the money changers had their tables set up in the temple and that the sellers of acceptable sacrificial animals had their stalls in the temple courtyard. Not only did that make the temple into a marketplace, the court they used was no doubt the court of the Gentiles, the only place in the temple where Gentiles could worship. Jesus was infuriated by what he saw, and he took action. Fashioning a whip out of cords, he drove the merchants and their livestock out of the temple. He poured the money changers' coins out of their bags and overturned their tables. And he ordered the sellers of Dove to take their birds away and told them to stop making his father's house a house of merchandise. Seeing him in action reminded the disciples That in Psalm 69, David had written, zeal for thy house will consume me. And Psalm 69 has several statements that not only apply to David, but to the son of David, the Messiah. In the Psalm, David not only speaks of the zeal the Messiah would have for God's house, he also foretells the reproach he would endure and that he would be given vinegar to drink. The disciples, however, weren't the only ones to pick up a messianic claim in Jesus' actions and words, especially his reference to the temple as his father's house. What he did, and that remark, led to confrontation with the Jewish authorities. The Jews therefore answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us, seeing that you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. 
The Jews therefore said, it took 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. We generally assume the authorities were upset with Jesus because he shut down their business, and no doubt they were. But what he said may have even upset them more. He had referred to the temple as his father's house. He was calling God his father. And we know this upset them greatly. After he healed the man at Bethesda on the Sabbath, they objected. He said, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. And John tells us of their violent reaction to what he said. For this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. They were incensed by what he said but also impacted by what he did. He had shut down their lucrative business, and it was a big business. Josephus tells us that the population of Jerusalem swelled to more than two million as Jews made pilgrimages to the temple for the annual celebration of Passover. And the pilgrims needed sacrificial animals and the specified coinage when they arrived. The law required that animals sacrificed to God be without spot or blemish. And the temple authorities were in a position to only certify as acceptable animals those sold by authorized vendors, no doubt charging for their services. And keeping the money changers close at hand meant they could skim off some of their intake for themselves. You know, Paul warned Timothy... The love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith. And sad to say, those in leadership at houses of worship are as tempted by the lure of riches as much as anyone else. That is true today, and it was true 2,000 years ago. Obviously, those who benefited from the profitable arrangement of the temple, didn't care if it was right or wrong. They just wanted to know what right Jesus had to shut them down. If Jesus had been actually given the authority by God to do that, surely God would have given him a sign to prove it. And interestingly, Satan had a similar thought. When tempted in the wilderness, Satan had tried to entice Jesus into making a dramatic entrance into the temple, one that would take away the need for faith and prove him to be the Son of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city, and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels charge concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. 
Now, Jesus did use miracles on occasion to confirm his identity and his power to forgive sin. But he wanted men to walk by faith, not by sight. And faith that needs the constant affirmation of signs and miracles is not strong enough to take us through the trials and struggles of life, let alone the valley of the shadow of death. Besides, he knew that those who choose not to believe do so because it will cost them too much and require them to change, and they will be convinced by nothing. And this was made clear to the rich man who wanted Lazarus sent back from the grave to warn his brothers about the torment that awaited them. Father Abraham told him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, Neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. In saying that, Jesus was making it clear that even his resurrection from the dead would not convince everyone who he is. But it would convince some. And when the scribes and Pharisees later asked Jesus for a sign, he did give them one. He answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign shall be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And while they didn't recognize it, he basically gave them the same sign in the temple. Destroy this temple, and in three days... I will raise it up. Even his disciples didn't realize what he was talking about until he rose from the grave. So it shouldn't shock us that the temple authorities assumed he was talking about the temple they were standing in. It took 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? The temple they were in wasn't the temple Solomon built. The Babylonians had destroyed that temple over 500 years earlier. The temple in Jesus' day was the one that Herod had built, or more accurately, rebuilt. When the Jews returned to Jerusalem from their Babylonian captivity, they built a new temple under the leadership of Zerubbabel, with the encouragement of prophets Haggai and Zechariah. But the temple paled in comparison to Solomon's, and the people were embarrassed by it did, however, serve as the center of Jewish worship for nearly 500 years until Herod decided it was unworthy of his glorious reign. So he enlarged and rebuilt it using marble, decorating it with massive amounts of gold, and expanded the temple area with buildings, courtyards, and porches until it covered nearly 35 acres. It was a magnificent structure and was the pride of Jerusalem. Jesus, however, would later prophesy that it would be destroyed and that not one stone would be left upon another. And the Romans did fulfill that prophecy in 70 AD. But he wasn't talking about the temple made of stone on this occasion. He was talking about his body. The Apostle Paul, 
referred to our bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is basically saying the same thing here. You know, when Gabriel announced to Mary that she would conceive in her womb and bear a son, she questioned how that would be possible since she was a virgin. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. John put it this way, The Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus' body was a temple that housed the Son of God. The temple in Jerusalem was his Father's house, but Jesus' body was his house. And that's what he was talking about. Destroy this temple And in three days, I will raise it up. At his trial, witnesses were brought in to testify against him. And they falsely said, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands. And in three days, I will build another made without hands. They didn't hear that. They probably weren't even there. Most likely, that's what they were told to say. As we've already noted, Jesus did perform miracles on occasion to affirm his identity and his authority. But it was his prophesied resurrection from the dead that proved him to be the Son of God. Sometimes he spoke it in veiled terms, but he also spoke of it as plainly as possible. After feeding the 5,000, Jesus Christ began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. After the transfiguration, while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And as they were heading to Jerusalem, before he cleansed the temple a second time, Jesus said, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered into the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised When Jesus first stated it plainly, Peter didn't want to hear it. In fact, he took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But it did. And we are certainly glad that it did. If Jesus didn't die and rise again, Paul makes it very clear that our faith is worthless and we are still in our sins. The temple authorities may not have liked it, but Jesus had the authority to cleanse his father's house. And he alone has the power and authority to cleanse our house. He alone 
can cleanse us of our sins, making it possible for the Spirit of God to dwell within us. He alone can make our bodies into temples of his Holy Spirit. He came to earth, died, and rose again to make that possible for you. So if there are things that Jesus needs to clean out of your house, let him do it. Invite him to cleanse you from every sin and set you free to be all that he desires you to be.